This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. What Meltdown and Spectre mean for HPC. And Intel plays catch-up in quantum computing. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, This Week in HPC, we've been hearing a lot about Meltdown and Spectre, and I don't think HPC as an industry or a segment is totally immune from this. No, this uh, this problem started relatively small, but it seems to have spread rather quickly, and since Basically, these two vulnerabilities, security vulnerabilities, affect all basically modern processors. They're bound to an impact uh, HPC, which, of course, uses uh, the most modern processors there are. What we're talking about is a pair of security flaws that have gotten revealed in processors that are common to the industry. Uh, I think Intel has taken a lot of the brunt of it just because they're the volume leader with x86 processors. But um, a lot of this goes beyond Intel x86 to include ARM uh, and uh, AMD, certainly with their x86 processors, IBM Power. And it's a pair of essentially security flaws that are known by the codenames Spectre and Meltdown. And they manifest in different ways, although they have to do with how the processor, or sorry, how the kernel and application share a uh, memory space. There's an incomplete boundary there because you try to do cheats that benefit performance to do things like look ahead and speculative execution. And now that it seems there are certain conditions in which you can exploit that and it opens up a security vulnerability. Right, and and these two these two vulnerabilities are related to each other, but they they act rather differently. And and the important thing to remember the the meltdown one is is the one that uh, is probably the easiest to exploit. So they think it's going to be the most common you know target maybe for hackers, but it's also the easiest one to fix. There actually are patches being uh, put out there by the the chip makers themselves, by the OS companies. Um, and even by the uh, web browser designers, uh, it, it happens at different levels. The other one, Spectre, is a little bit more difficult. They don't have a bulletproof fix for that one. That has to do more with the speculative execution side of this and, and the nature of how that works at sort of a more fundamental level. There are some patches out there, but uh, nothing that's going to, uh, at least at this point, fix it 100%. So. This is sort of something that's still in motion, but the, the important thing to remember is, you know, everybody knows about this now. The vendors and the users are on the same page in getting the, the fixes out there and, and getting them out there in such a way that the performance hit, especially for the users we talk about, is, is not too onerous. Yeah, and you have a nice write-up on top500.org that gives some of the details on it without getting overly technical. They are fairly esoteric bugs. I've read a fair amount of material on it myself. And in terms of looking at exactly what the vulnerability is and, and how it gets exploited or how you need to defend against it. And you know, what, one of the reasons it affects HPC is because to really shut down uh, these vulnerabilities – 
um, what processors are looking to do is is now uh, to to set up more of a boundary between the application data and the kernel data, but that limits the application's ability to execute certain shortcuts. And for things that are I/O or memory intensive, we've seen some articles that have suggested that if you implement all of these patches successfully, you could have performance hits. Uh, in the range of 10 to 30 percent. Right, and, and that's because when you switch from user space, basically the application to the operating system, you have to do this context switch. And like you said, uh, some of these implementations were, were in a sense cheating a bit. They were trying to short circuit that, and the vulnerability, the revelation of the vulnerability revealed that you, you left uh, some of that data open to possibly malicious software. So the cost of doing that more completely is the performance hit. So any any application that includes HPC applications that do a lot of I/O or a lot of system calls that have to do that switch are going to be impacted more severely. So at the top end is that 30% and perhaps even more of that hit, um, and that's that's a big hit if you're doing HPC and something's going to run a week. It's now taking 30% longer than that. Right, exactly right. So the metaphor would be, hey, it's faster if we cut through this alley. Oh, wait, but bad guys could hide in the alley. Okay, well, if we don't take the alley, then it takes longer, right? And that's that's basically what we're we're looking at here as a as a metaphor for these fixes. Now, the the big thing that I look at with regards to this is that security is something that we tend to look at as an as an all or nothing, right? The, either the system is 100% secure with with no vulnerabilities or else if it's not then the bad guys win, the building burns down, the country loses the war, the zombies start breaking in. There's there's really nothing in between 100% safe and 100% disaster because as soon as there's a security flaw you sit back and imagine what are all of the ways that uh, something could possibly go wrong. And, you know, the real world isn't like that. Not every time you leave a window unlocked does your whole house get robbed. But companies are going to have to evaluate what is the cost benefit of aggressively pursuing all of these fixes versus the likelihood of something bad happening and how bad it could possibly be. And that's where this does get very technical very quickly. What is the vulnerability? How much of my application is exposed? If somebody injected some uh, speculative execution into cache, what might that be and what's the potential downside? And that's where this discussion does get very highly technical very quickly. But it seems to me that that that's the level of discussion I would want to have at an enterprise level if I were reliant on performance to say how much performance am I willing to give away versus how secure is it. Um, you know, you hate to think of security as being anything less than 100 percent, but uh, I, I think that's how I would approach it. Yeah, but actually, and, and this problem actually drives home the point that, you know, the, a lot of these vulnerabilities were were endemic to these processors for years, in some cases decades. I mean, some of these are, are fundamental features of the of the way these uh, these architectures are implemented. So they've existed for a very long time. They were just revealed now, and it, and it should be noted that I don't think there's any cases of anybody exploiting these. The the uh, exposure to these is is just out there, and the fact that 
now the information is in the public domain. Now hackers could pick up on this. But right. uh, these have been known for, in fact, I think the original uh, research was done last summer. And uh, this was done by Google Project Zero, as well as some other other organizations. And they let Intel and some other organizations know that uh, what what the research revealed and they started to patch it then or they started to look at what could be done at that point but for some reason in the past few weeks it became known publicly and now of course everybody knows uh, as well as people who might uh, might want to do bad to your systems so uh, yeah it would I, be nice if if you could get it out and get it fixed without letting it get known publicly but that's right. just a pipe dream that's that's really hard to imagine that that happens Right. As soon as you start letting more and more companies know, eventually it's it's going to get out there, which is which is what happened. Um, yeah. But, but the good thing is there are these patches being put out. Everybody uh, is is sort of uh, realizing that it's it's going to be fixed. Now, the Spectre one is sort of the more serious one, although I guess it's the one that's harder to exploit. Um, but it, it, some people are saying it's actually going to eventually require a redesign of some of the fundamental aspects of how speculative execution works on modern processors. And that's a little bit scary because that's that's a big part of how these architectures have been built over the past several uh, several years, if not decades. And uh, it, it helps performance quite a bit. You can't just turn off speculative execution and expect to get uh, you know the same sort of performance out of most processors nowadays, especially at in the in data centers, so uh, that's going to be a problem ongoing. But there, I'm sort of confident there's going to be workarounds and fixes to this that won't impact performance as much as some of this initial analysis is saying. I I think they'll be able to figure this out without uh, without having to redo the entire industry. Well, yeah, I think it falls short of a total redo. Although I do worry that Spectre might be the more insidious and hard to eradicate of these uh, security flaws. I, I hate to call it a bug. I, I think these things work exactly as they were intended to work, but there's something inherent to that design that we've now found uh, can be exploited by someone with malicious intent. Of course, one thing that we could do is change the, the way we do computing entirely. We could start moving forward to quantum and uh, Intel. As much as they've been in the news for the, the Spectre and Meltdown issues, they were also in the news at CES, and they've taken another big step forward with quantum computing. Yeah, this uh, this is a little surprising to me that uh, three months ago, I think back in October, they released their 17-qubit quantum computing chip, and now just basically three months later, they revealed a 49 qubit chip. And and that's now at a level that, of what uh, IBM and Google are doing. And they are considered, they've been considered for a while to be sort of the leaders in this field. IBM just released uh, back in December a 50 qubit prototype. Um, and Google has been working on a 49 qubit chip, which it sounds like they're going to release any day now. They're supposed to release it before the end of last year. Uh, so I have a feeling it's pretty forthcoming. But the fact that Intel basically jumped from 17 to 49 in the period of a few months uh, makes me think they've made up for a lot of lost ground here. Yeah, it really does look like Intel is is right in the thick of this quantum computing race. And this these numbers, 49, 50 qubits right there, are very relevant and are – 
uh, are uh, targets or milestones that the chip makers are trying to get to with quantum because each iterative integer forward is, is another power of two. You go from two to the 17th bits in a solution space that you can explore up to two to the 49th or two to the 50th bits uh, in a solution space that you can explore. And the reason that number becomes relevant around the 4950 level is that's where you get to what they call quantum supremacy, which is to do with it's a larger space than the largest current conventional supercomputers could explore on their own. You go beyond what you can simulate in indoor realm that only quantum computers could theoretically approach. Right. That's sort of, that's why it's, that's sort of become the milestone here. Now we should say that the, the 49 qubit chip that they announced, they've they characterized it as a test chip and they haven't talked about any applications running on it or, or even any al test algorithms running on it at this point. Um, they've got some partners to help them do that. And presumably we'll be hearing about that in the future, but we don't really know um, any of the sort of technical details behind that. It's not just the, the qubit length that's that's makes for a device here. It's also things like coherence times and fault right. tolerance that that makes it a useful uh, a useful processor. So presumably we'll find that information out as uh, as as these chips get exercised. But we but even given that, this is it seems like a pretty big jump for Intel. I think they've sort of established that they do want to be players in this. They're not going to give this up to the IBMs and the Googles of the world, uh, they, they want to be in the thick of it as well. They, they see the potential there for sort of a new paradigm of computing, and uh, they're, they're not about to be left behind. To be clear, I think we're still a long ways off from these becoming ubiquitous processors that everybody's uh, using for right. common applications. But we, we are getting step-by-step step closer to talking about these as uh, processors that do get used for certain research applications. Quantum computing is more real than it's ever been before. I think it's, uh, it's, it's now uh, early stages in a game. We're, we're going beyond pregame into the actual game itself, and, uh, and we've got some interesting players. Yeah, we definitely do. I think we'll see more stories like that th this year, um, especially with IBM actually starting up their commercial uh, business along these lines. It's a, it's a basically an experimental business for early adopters, but they they feel confident enough with what they've done that they can bring in uh, some paying users, which they have done. Um, Intel uh, in in sort of announcing this still thinks it's going to be maybe five to seven years before the industry gets uh, sort of uh, enough qubits in line to achieve commercial relevance. But I'm not sure if everybody thinks that way. I think IBM is going to be more aggressive in that sense. But again, we're, we're seeing this slowly play out. And I think, yeah, we're going to see it, I think, at most in five to seven years. And I think certain, certain players are going to try and shrink that uh, considerably. Yeah, and what what I'm really looking forward to is when we start seeing applications, benchmarks, some actual results on on these quantum computers. I, I think that's probably not far away now that people are going to be announcing not just the technology, but here's what we've done with the technology, and and I you know that might be a story we get this year. Yeah, I think there's some low hanging fruit out there for certain things like uh, chemical simulations and material science and drug discovery that people are going to start experimenting with pretty quickly once they get up into the, the 50 qubit and above realm. 
All right, Michael. Well, thanks a lot for another interesting podcast. The year is off to a fast start, and uh, and we'll keep watching it. Okay, very good. And thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.